That was an original composition, right? No. no. It, it is beautiful. Forgot to get rid of the sun in my eyes. These days, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than I'm, I'm thirsty, I'm, I'm starved for a certain kind of integrity, a certain kind of um, carefulness that Fredish, that even though they're making fun of him, I long for that integrity is the word that keeps coming up in my mind and it's made me really limit what I'm able to tolerate of the news and it's deeply (laughs) it's deeply influenced even the entertainment that I take in and I have a feeling that I am not alone in this so the kind of books I read and the TV shows I binge on um (laughs) I can't tolerate, and it reminds me when I first gave birth, I could no longer see certain kinds of violent things, and then over time, maybe about the time they were teenagers, I could tolerate it pretty easily. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm starved for it. We, uh, a group of us, I encourage everyone next year to write on their calendar to come to the UU and camp makes some people squirm. We were in luxurious, brand-new Oklahoma State Lodge cabins coming to the point overlooking a beautiful, clear lake. There are such things in Oklahoma. And being in a, a much larger group of Unitarian Universalists, and one of the stories we heard that week was one that I just can't get out of my head because it has that same sense of, oh, there is... Uh, that we are surrounded by and we forget that we are surrounded by people who are decent and willing to do the right thing. So the story we heard took place in the Ukraine back in 2004. There was this hotly contested um, election for the prime minister. And the, the prime minister at the time was uh, Yanukovych and his rival was Viktor Yushchenko. And the election was really tight, so tight, this will be familiar to us, that the results weren't announced right away. It was, all of, it was a whole three days later that finally the results were announced. But in the meantime, leading up to the election, and in those three days, there was lots of talk of voter suppression, voter... Um, voter um, uh, intimidation that's the word I want and uh, Yushchenko was even poisoned toxin poisoned um, and survived so three days after the election the state television UT1 was all set to announce that Yanukovych had won. Well, the television station hired and used a deaf interpreter who knew sign language. 
and her name was Natalie Dimitric. And she made a decision on the spot to not translate. Well, I'm sure what she had been doing all these years, you know, she'd be a little um, circle in the bottom of the screen, and you'd see what she was signing. And she was probably reading the same teleprompter that the newscaster was reading so that she could be ahead of the game and translate it. And she decided she couldn't translate what she was hearing. So I want to read instead what she translated. It was the Washington Post that publicized what she that translated into English. She signs instead, I'm addressing everybody who is deaf in the Ukraine. Our president is Viktor Yushchenko. Do not trust the results of the Central Election Committee. They are all lies. And I'm very ashamed to translate such lies to you. Maybe, maybe you will see me again. Well, it was a small revolution she started because who was first affected by her words were her colleagues in the newsroom. So 250 of her colleagues demanded the ability to begin to report balanced and news with integrity. This was taking place in uh, the fall, and by December, the Supreme Court overturned the results with a revote, and Yushchenko got 51%, and Yanukovych got 44%. So if you follow international politics, you know he served for four years and then Yanukovych returned to power, but now is in exile in Russia for treason. But still, it's her. It's Natalie Dimitrik that I want to talk about. Because here's what I love about the story. She told the simple truth. And she did it from her location. That really is what matters to me, too, because I often, uh, you know, we could make the case, well, she was on national news, she could do this, it was a big deal, and, and I'm like, no, she didn't know that it would really make that big of a difference. Just for herself, she had to stop translating lies. So I want us to all think about what is our location. We tend to be dismissive of ourselves and our ability to do anything. I do that, so dismissive of my own agency. And we're able to make a difference. And that difference may not be immediately visible, but if, say, 100, let's see, 87 of your peers heard something, then they tell, that's how things ripple out. She took a risk. I admire her deeply. She inspired others. And it was simple, but it was really creative. I'm just going to use this moment and tell the truth. Because she could have thought, you know, my little audience of 
those who don't hear is probably pretty small. What does it matter? I have this disability and I can't make a difference. My sphere of influence is small. It's a risk. I might be killed or I might lose my job. And then that dismissive, oh, it won't really matter. But it matters. Like Freddish, like the notion of this is how you, how you tell the truth that is appropriate to an age group and you do it with integrity. Um, I'm, and it's the story of one person. So we, you heard in the other reading that we're, we're a tradition that values each person. And I'd claim that that's the universalist thread of our Unitarian Universalism is that we see a divine spark in every single human being. So the individual matters. And the reason we're talking about this today, in August, we take the opportunity to assume that people are church shopping, starting new schools, checking things out, so we have some guests here. And also it's good for us, for me, to review what it means to be Unitarian Universalist, to go back to the basics. I don't know about you, but I need a regular drip, Chinese water torture, of values, of things to continue to hold, because I'll get caught up in emotions and situations and lose track of what really matters. So we have six. I'm going to make sure I don't... um, We have opened on one level a can of worms... And on the other hand, there is no other way we could do it differently, which is we believe there are essentially an infinite number of sources of wisdom. You've heard me say this before, that we no longer merely accept the text in the Bible as our sole source of wisdom. Once we started saying, well, where do these words come from? Oh, wait, they come from earlier in Mesopotamia. And actually, we've copied the the scribes, copied a lot of the text from different parts of the Middle East that are even more ancient. And wait, some of these other world religions have great wisdom too. So I have to say, as your minister, it's a challenging job to do this with integrity because we say there is wisdom everywhere. So how to keep from being a tourist in other religious traditions or shallow? It's it's a tall order for all of us to understand that wisdom comes from many places. So I'm going to read our six sources we believe in the direct experience, what, what we experience, of mystery and wonder. And the reason we do is it helps us create and uphold life. The one we're focusing on today and this week is we believe in the words and deeds of prophetic people. Three, we believe in the wisdom from the world's religions because 
the wisdom from the other world religions inspire what it means to live an ethical and spiritual life. Four, we acknowledge our deep history with Jewish and Christian teachings, specifically to love your neighbor as yourself. Five, humanists. We believe that reason and science are guides. And here's why. They warn us against the idolatries of the mind and spirit. Again, science and religion are on this parallel track. And six, the last one is earth-centered traditions, that there is a circle of life and that we are to live in harmony with the rhythms of nature. It's a big umbrella. What, what interests me in preparing for this sermon is I always pay attention to what the six are, but I started paying more attention to why those six, the second part of each statement, because I thought, so how do you sort through all the various sources of information? How do you decide that this particular religious thought or text, whether that's valuable or not, or this scientific idea, or how we pay attention to the earth and nature? And it was the second part that interested me, that what we're trying to do is create and uphold life that we're paying attention to others, that we want an ethical and spiritual life, that we want to love our neighbors as ourself, that we want to avoid idolatries of mind and spirit, that notion that we are certain and have all the answers, and that we continue to put ourselves as part of, not, uh, not separate from, the circle of life that we indeed are animals and our life makes an impact on this earth, be it negative or positive. And our effort is to be, to always create and uphold life. So it's a big circle. Um, there was a, a thread online from a friend of mine from seminary who's now off in the Dakota somewhere, and he wrote, what is bad theology? And all these people chimed in. Because that's really the question. What, if we have so many sources of wisdom, what's a bad one? Um, and people posted very specific ones, you know, prosperity gospel and um, theology of, of hell, certainty about hell, a whole list of things. And I realized, no, for me, what's a bad theology? is anyone that claims to uphold all the truth. And it can be exhausting, but our job is to always go, always doubt and question. So what I wanted us to think about was since we're focusing on individuals today, I wanted you to think about who would be the, the Natalie Dimitrik in your life, 
that serves as a role model and tells the truth to you. I will tell you I have a lot of you here that I would list who are willing to say, here's what I think and make me think in a different way or have parents who, whose wisdom you still hear in your head. I'd love to hear you shout out who in your life serves as a model when you're stuck in a complicated situation and you want to know, so how can I be, how can I have integrity? How can I be moral? How can I make a choice that upholds the circle of life that disrupts my idolatry to my comfort or to my certainty? Who, who is that for you? Peter Say that again? Peter Zago. I'm thinking of Krista Tippett right at the moment for some reason. I find what she does really thoughtful. And I made that trek to see um, what Brian Stevenson put together with the lynching museum. I admire how he's... And let me, let me make clear that we have not rejected Jesus as a role model or Moses or the Buddha. That's Okay, come on. I know you all. Speak up. Nancy Henry. Nancy Henry. Her mom. Say that. All his dad. No one. No one. <laughs> Ooh, Charles, we have some talking to do. I um the the way our sources are written, they were written by committee which made me think about the Ten Commandments. I thought, oh, I bet they were written by a committee. I wonder what that conversation was like. <laughs> but you can tell our sources were written by a committee, and they're actually beautifully written. I like this two parts to it. Here's the source, and here's why this source. But when I started focusing on this one, it was too late. I realized the banner down at the road, and even what we put out online listed how it's uh, worded. It's worded, let me make sure I get it right, the words and deeds of prophetic women and men. And I thought, oh, what they were trying to correct, they listed women first. It was a committee discussion. I know it. Because <laughs> they were written 20, 30 years ago when they're like, okay, we're always listing men first. We need to list women. But now... 30 years later, we know that gender and sexuality is a spectrum. And I've been trying to not be so binary and use the language men and women. In fact, I now, everything I read, without even telling you, I switch. When it's an older reading that says man, I put people or human or person. And now I've started removing all the ones that list man and woman or woman and man because I'm trying to be more conscious of the fact that that 
leaves out a huge spectrum of human beings who say, wait, wait, you're leaving me out when you do that. So it's, it's actually my little teeny tiny Natalie Dimitri translating moment because I'm trying to change our, my thinking and by changing my thinking I'm going to change my language I put in my email signature now and some people have asked I've put what my preferred pronouns are her, hers, she and what that does is signal to others that we are a community that's paying attention to this not that we have all the answers, but if you don't quite fit in and he in he or she, that we are open to they and Z and just making trying to make a tiny difference in my location, even though my audience is small. Maybe it will be a prophetic moment that will change someone and it and what we didn't talk about, Natalie, is I bet she was uncomfortable because I think trying to, to speak your truth or speak a truth or speak up is uncomfortable and we have to learn to be uncomfortable and not reactive. That's part of the work we do together as a community. So may we be the truth speakers. May we be the truth speakers. May we be the banquet meal of integrity and hospitality for the person sitting next to you and your circle of friends and their circle of friends and the 7.6 billion ultimately. May it be so.